1 Timothy chapter 4, and I trust that you have your scriptures with you this evening. We are coming quickly to the conclusion of this letter to Timothy, and uh, it's been an encouraging stay in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to wrap that up this evening, but it has been a good look, and we'll go back and review just a little bit of what we've already studied in chapter 4. There are unique challenges to being a new pastor in a new area with a new congregation that, of course, I had no way of experiencing beforehand or in any way gaining wisdom by experience. There are certain things that you cannot know about unless you've gone through them, and so there's no way to have a class or to be prepared by someone else's discussion for the challenges of being in a new ministry. This is just something that is uh, particularly challenging in the experience itself. There's also the challenge of being a young pastor. And David and I both feel that challenge immensely. And then you can combine the two and you can be a new pastor in a new ministry and be young altogether. And you have a challenge that is really unlike any other. And I'll never have it again, right? This will never again, they'll never again experience uh, a new ministry for the first time and be an unexperienced or inexperienced pastor in a brand new ministry work. There are ups and downs, there are emotional ups and downs that go with the challenges of being in a new ministry. And now that we've been here for, I don't know, I think this may be our 11th week officially that we've been meeting on Sunday mornings. I have already had those times of considering, am I fit to do this? Is this going to make it? Am I going to make it past six months? Uh, are they going to let me stay? Uh, and you laugh, and I laugh with you, but actually the humanness and this human side of being a pastor, those are real things. And the challenges in a new ministry and knowing the statistics of new pastors and new ministries and the failure rate being astronomically high, I have been constantly aware of my need for a biblical perspective on success. I mean, that is the desire. The desire is success, but not success just by any standard, success by God's standard. And that is the heartbeat of David and I, that we would stand before the Lord in the day of judgment and have been faithful and successful by his standards for what he has called us to in leading and shepherding the church that he paid such a high price for. And this evening we come to the pastoral admonitions that Paul gives to young Timothy, who for all that we know is in his first pastorate, and all the challenges that I have and David have, or we are experiencing now, pale in comparison to what Timothy is going through. Let's think a little bit about why Timothy's there. Timothy was not there because he won the vote 78% uh, and he made it. Right? That's not why Timothy's there. In fact, nobody in Ephesus, we have no record of anybody in Ephesus asking for Timothy to come and lead them. Timothy was chosen by Paul, the apostle, to go and to take charge and to be the leader in a situation that was desperately in need of biblical leadership. Young Timothy, probably in his early 30s, 
did not come because they chose him, nor did he come to a situation where God's people were hungry for God's word. There were actually elders and teachers within the church who were in no way hungry for God's word and were teaching their own doctrines. So now this young Timothy in this first pastoral leadership role is chosen by his, his overseer, the Apostle Paul, to provide leadership in a church that has not expressed a desire to have him. And on top of it, he is sent into a lion's den of error where he is called upon to set things back in order within the church. And I can only imagine, because I have not experienced, and I trust we will not experience in the very near future, the experience of what Timothy is going through, I can only imagine the challenges and the weight of what was on Timothy's back. We know from 2 Timothy chapter 1 that Timothy's nature was really timid. His personality was not the upfront go-getter, grab the bull by the horn, so to speak, and take charge. We know that by what Paul has to say and what Paul doesn't have to say. Paul is not trying to temper Timothy. He's not saying, hey, take it easy, buddy, you're going to hurt people's feelings. Paul is saying, get some steel in that spine, go in there and do what needs to be done for the glory of God. So here is Timothy in this unbelievable situation. He's young. This is his first leadership role that we know of. He's in a church that's riddled with error and strife and problems. They haven't chosen him to come. They've not called him to come to their church. They're not excited about his ministry. He is there as a delegate from the apostle. And surely Timothy has battled and is battling with what it is that he is to be about. What are his priorities? What will be the standard of success for his ministry as a young pastor? So Paul, in this little paragraph that we're going to study this evening, verses 11 down through verse 16 of chapter 4, he outlines seven imperatives for true ministry success. He gives us imperatives. Those are commands. Seven commands or seven imperatives for true ministerial success, for leadership that matters and is successful in the eyes of the head of the church. Now, just by way of reference, Paul has contrasted false teachers in 1 to 5 of this chapter with the good servant in verses 6 through 10, and that's what we've done the last two weeks. That's what we've studied together. And now he turns this corner and puts his focus on the nature of what it is to be, in the long-term sense, a faithful and successful good servant of God. I think success is a common desire. None of you have desired to be anything but successful. That is the natural, inborn desire of your heart. And yet within the church, success has fallen on hard times because of the worldly mentality that has infiltrated the church. So everything that God says as success is seen as weakness. Those things that God sees as weakness on the part of humans are seen as the marks of leadership and success. And so it's very important for us to take careful note of what's said here in verses 11 through 16. It's important for you this evening as God's people and for me in the particular role that God has given me and given to David 
that we understand that the believers are to have an example in leadership. So part of the success of leadership is being the right example. And examples have an inherent result that's assumed. If there's an example set before you, what is the assumed reality of what will happen because of that example? You guys know where I'm going, so you can quit nodding and just tell me. where. What John, tell us. Yeah, follow the example. Right. The inherent or the expected and assumed reality is that examples are not there just to be polished and admired and thought highly of. Examples are there for the sake of our encouragement and for us to follow after them. And you know this. And so don't miss the weight of what is said here for true success in ministry. Don't shuffle this off. This is the life that is to be lived out before you as an example for you by those who serve you as leaders. All right, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 4 together. We'll start in verse 1. We'll read all the way through the end of the chapter, just 16 verses this evening. This is the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words or being nourished in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself, discipline yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it, holds, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And now verse 11, which is where we'll begin our time tonight. Command... And teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the doctrine or on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And this is the word of the Lord for us. So, seven imperatives for us to evaluate true ministry success. True success before God and by His standard. And we begin with verse 11. And I've put these into our common vernacular for the sake of helping us remember what's here. Imperative number one for true success is speak the truth. Speak the truth. The good servant must speak the truth. 
command and teach these things, Paul says to Timothy in verse 11. Command is a, a strong word. In fact, we don't use that word today very often in our common language. Commanding someone to do something. In fact, to be commanded is something of an offense to us. That's not something we enjoy. We don't like to be commanded. We don't like people to tell us what seats we're allowed to sit in, what seats we're not allowed to sit in. Don't pass commands by way of ropes. We don't like these things. And yet Timothy is called on not just to teach with softness, but to command. And he is to command the truths that have just been revealed in the beginning of this chapter and really throughout the letter. That the error of those who are giving their attention to myths and to genealogies and to every other distraction from the truth of the word, that those in fact are damning heresies. Those are errors. He must stand up and he must command that the people of God live as good servants, not as those who have followed after error. Not only is he to command, but he is to instruct. He is to teach. He is to take the truth and explain it. All of this is in the truth, speaking the truth in love. He was called to step up and be bold and command and teach the truth. And so the first characteristic, the first command for true ministerial, biblical ministerial success is a boldness to command and to teach the truth. Whether it's popular or not, whether during a Thanksgiving prayer time there are people who are appreciative of it, success is being faithful to do what has been commanded. The command here is to command and to teach the truth. Secondly, and we'll move relatively quickly through these, overcome youthful criticisms. Verse 12 is the second imperative, the second command for biblical success for the young pastor is to overcome youthful criticism. Let no one despise you for your youth. And this is natural. This is expected. This is cultural. This is a part of life. That those who are young have a tendency to be despised by those that are not young. And I tonight am not going to put you all in categories of young or not young. But it is natural for you who are older than me, which I'm looking around the room, and I'm pretty sure that that's, I don't, I, that's probably everybody in here. Shane, I might have you by a couple years, but that's it. So that's it. I'm going to have the potential to despise Shane. Everyone else, you got the potential to despise me. This is normal to think of the young whippersnapper who is leading the church. And the elders who are gathered in Ephesus are naturally older men, which would have been the natural way of deciding, particularly coming out of the Jewish culture. And so Timothy is to give them no opportunities to despise him simply because of his age. Right? There surely were opportunities to despise him had he expressed a character that was in need of despising, but his youthfulness alone was not to be the measure by which he was put down. Paul doesn't just command it and then walk away. He commands and explains. How is it that Timothy is to go about the natural inclination of people to take lightly what a young man has to say as he instructs, commands, and teaches the truth? 
How are his words, hard words of truth, to have any weight amongst the people? Well, there's three ways. There's one way, and there's three facets of that, or two facets of that, rather. He is to be an example to the believer. So his life is to give weight to his young words. His young preaching and teaching ministry, his young commanding of the truth, is to be given weight and validity by the example he sets for the believers. And there are two facets to this example. One is outward and one is inward. There is the outward expression, the outward life that is to be the example in speech and in conduct. The outward life of the successful, biblically successful leader within the local church is that he is to be an example outwardly of what it is to live in the truth and to love Christ and to live because of the gospel. And there are two big, broad categories given to outward life to help us understand the demand for the example. It is the speech and the conduct. And you couldn't get any broader. His mouth and his actions. Those are to be the two measuring sticks. Those are to be the litmus test of the validity of his teaching. What does his outward life declare about what he is saying? And then the internal aspects, more difficult to evaluate, but for the shepherd, these are to be the concerns of his heart in love, in faith, and in purity. These are the heart workings that are to be his character before God. He is to love, and that is biblical love, sacrificial love, selfless love. He is to live in faith. His faith will be seen in his faithfulness, in his living out faith in God's promises, being faithful to live out in obedience what God has commanded, and then in purity, and that's not just in sexual purity, but in purity of his heart. So not only is the good servant, the successful servant from a biblical standpoint to speak the truth, he is to overcome youthful criticism by being an example of the believer. We talk a lot about role models, particularly with professional athletes. There are professional athletes that have been vocal that they don't want to be a role model. I don't want to be a role model. I just want to play professional sports. The reality is, because of their exposure and because of their position as a professional athlete in a country that is obsessed with sports, they have no choice. They are a model. Now, whether or not they'll be a good model is still up to debate, and many of them are failing the test. But the shepherd is inherently expected to be an example, to be a leader, to be a servant of the flock. And if the young shepherd is to have weight in his commanding and teaching of the truth, then he is to be the model of the Christian. He's to be the role model of Christianity. This is a, a daunting, a daunting requirement and expectation from God. Interesting counterpassage and one that I've spent time, obviously I've spent a lot of time in this particular section because of my own age and because of the ministry responsibilities that the Lord has given. 
But also Psalm 119 has a particularly important part. Psalm 119 in verse 97 all the way through 104, but particularly in 99 says this. David says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged or the elders, that is the old men. I understand more than the old man, for I keep your precepts. I obey your word. What is the confidence of the young man who stands or sits in a place of leadership over older men? There is no confidence outside of the Word of God and the realities of the Christian life that are being worked out in him by grace. These are to be the concerns of the good servant of God. So he's to speak the truth. He's to overcome youthful criticism both in his outward life, living as an example in speech and conduct, and in his inward life, his life of love and faith and purity. Thirdly, he's to make much of the Word. Make much of the Word. Verse 13 says, Until I come, Paul is fully expecting to get to Ephesus, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Give yourself to these aspects about the ministry of the word make much of the word timothy is to read the word this was the practice that was gained from the synagogues this is why we read the word on sundays together they were to spend time reading and hearing the word of god he was to make much of the word not only was he to read it but he was to exhort that is he was to call on god's people to live in response to what they had heard that's exhortation and he was to instruct, he was to teach them what it means and the weight of what is found in the reading of God's Word. Expository teaching and preaching has always been the expectation of the good servant of the church. This has always been the standard. God's revelation is the only thing to be read and ex exhorted to God's people and to be taught. It is the standard by which we must live our lives. John Stott, European expositor, says this, It was taken for granted from the beginning that all Christian preaching would be expository preaching. That is, that all Christian exhortation and instruction would be drawn out of the passage that had been read. This was normal. This was expected. And yet today in our modern evangelicalism, this has fallen on hard times, as many of you would attest to tonight. So success from God's eyes. It's wrapped up in speaking of the truth. It's wrapped up in being an example of the believer and making much of the word within the body of the church. And particularly here in Ephesus, this was vital for Timothy to give himself to these things because they were being led away into error. So he was to make much of reading scripture, explaining scripture, and calling on people to act according to scripture. Okay? Those are the first three. And I should, yes, so we're now at 702. I actually have my watch. It's my cheat sheet down here. 
I was pulling your chain. I can't see that one, but I saw this one. Let's move quickly to number four. Focus on your giftedness. Moving right along, verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have. Focus on your giftedness. Timothy, if you're going to be successful, remember that you have a gift. It's not yours. You didn't muster it up. You don't get it by creativity. It's been given to you. And it's been given to you by God. Another way of saying this is remember your calling. The setting apart of Timothy for ministry was accomplished by prophecies about his ministry and the laying on of hands of faithful elders who were, by their laying on of hands, setting him apart for the ministry of the Word. And so Timothy is to focus. He's to remember the gift that has been given to him. This calling, this giftedness, is to be his backbone. This is a reminder for Timothy that what he has been called to do in Ephesus, he has also been gifted to accomplish. So what God calls the shepherd to do, he has made all the means necessary for that to be accomplished. And that should be an encouragement. That should be a basis for courage in the face of opposition. Timothy was to focus on this gift. Not only is he to focus on this gift, but he was to use and not neglect the gift. R. Kent Hughes uses this little slogan, the axiom that we all know, use it or lose it. Right? He was to not neglect the gift. The gift was to be at the forefront. He was to be exercising his gift. And we're going to see that in just a moment. He was to be exercising, not neglecting. He was to be caring for the gift that he had been given by God himself. Timothy's gifting was synonymous with his call to ministry, and his call to ministry was to be the centerpiece of his life. It's always amazing to me to hear of pastors who are also thriving businessmen, entrepreneurs, real estate gurus. I don't understand how the calling on our lives Pastor Fred, thank the Lord for that calling tonight. The calling is not just on our hearts. It's not just a calling that's a burden that we have. It is God placing gifts for one particular purpose, for us to serve the local assembly and to serve them with the Word of God. It is to be the all-consuming passion. It cannot, be, it cannot be neglected in the life of the successful servant of God. Fifthly, not only is this good servant, successful servant, to focus on giftedness and on calling, but fifthly, he is to practice, practice, practice. Practice, practice, practice. Verse 15 says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. These priorities were to be the consuming lifestyle of the minister. He was to practice these things. That is, they were to become the habits of his life. Habitual attention to Scripture. Habitual reminded, remindings about gifting and calling. Habitual activity of commanding and teaching. Habitual lifestyle of living as an example to the body. Practice these things. Look at the word picture in verse 15. Immerse yourself 
in them. I love word pictures in language. You cannot literally immerse yourself in these activities. It's not possible. Immersion is to be underneath of, to be soaked to the bone, to be underneath the water is the picture. But I love that picture. It's as if here are the priorities of ministry life and they are a pool. You are to jump in and go all the way under. Go in there and stay in there and stay under the water. Immerse yourself in it. It should be everything to you. Success will be for those who have practiced and immersed themselves in the priorities for ministry that God has given. Not only that, here's the purpose of immersing yourself and practicing these things, further uh, highlighting the example the shepherd is to the body. Verse 15 concludes with, so that all may see your progress. The progress in the true success story of Timothy's ministry was to be obvious to all that were within the church, that is, friends and foes of Timothy. Those who were enemies of the gospel who were teaching error were not to have any reason or means to accuse him because he was immersed in what he should be immersed in and his progress was quite evident to all who were there. He was practicing those priorities that the apostle had given him. This would only further bolster his example and his opportunity to command and teach the truth. There's a phrase in sports that I don't know where I picked it up, but it's been a part of my thinking for a long time, and that is practice doesn't make perfect. Right? You've heard the phrase practice makes perfect. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Only practicing the appropriate things actually accomplishes the right end in the game. You can practice your misinformed method of shooting a basketball all you want, and you will never get the results that you desire because you're not practicing effectively. You're not actually practicing what you should be practicing. No different for the minister. He is to be practicing what has been laid out and what he has been given as priorities And the habits of his life are to be guided by these priorities as the example to the flock. Final two, quickly, tonight. Number six, stay focused. In verse 16, the first part of verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Stay focused. Keep your head in the game. Stay focused. Don't get distracted. Keep a close watch, that is, keep a minute, detailed watch on yourself. There are two aspects, on yourself and on your doctrine, on your teaching. Timothy was to be concerned about his own life before God. If his spiritual life was in shambles, his example would be non-existent. If his example was non-existent, then his commanding and teaching would have no weight and no credibility and the truth would be undermined once more by poor leadership. And so Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself and connected directly to that on your teaching. Probably the most impactful sermon that I have ever heard. I think that that's a safe statement. The most impactful single sermon that I've ever heard was preached at a a sweetheart banquet for the Master's Seminary. We would have these banquets every year. Some scorned them. Some went to them as good opportunities for a date night. 
Renee and I took advantage of them. We got all dressed up, all gussied up, and we went to these banquets. And every year we'd have some speaker that would come and kind of challenge us. It was not a setting for preaching. It was more of a challenge. We had gone to a couple of them, and we had enjoyed fellowship around our table. And then we went to one, and this one sticks out particularly because of this event. And Donald Whitney, who is a professor at Southern Baptist Seminary, was there as our speaker. And he preached a message that you can find online, you can read it, you can listen to it, because it has been this impactful in other other people's lives as well. And it was called The Almost Inevitable Failure of Every Minister. The Almost Inevitable Failure of Every Minister. And he began with statistics that were scary. 90% of us in the room would never be faithful in ministry. 65% of us would start in ministry and never follow through. And within 10 years of our initial ministries, we would be out of the ministry permanently. Amazing statistics that were based on the realities of what is going on today. And then he gave one most dramatic statistic, which could not be measured, and that was... All of you are inevitably on a course to become what you do not want to become unless, unless you take close and focused attention on yourself and on your teaching. The whole sermon revolved around this one verse. Failure for the minister of God's word and for the shepherd, the under-shepherd in the church, is right around the corner if the focus is not on the personal walk with God and the teaching that flows from it. Stay focused. Timothy was to keep an eye on his own spiritual life and on the teaching that flowed from his interaction with the Word of God. And then finally, number seven, we've seen already that he is to speak the truth in love. He is to overcome youthful criticism, make much of the Word, focus on his giftedness, practice, 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 stay focused, and then finally, number seven, and this is crucial for the success of any minister of the gospel, he is to be persistent in ministry. Don't quit. Don't quit. Verse number 16 says, persist in this. Persist in the close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist. Don't stop. Keep after it. Stick to it. And the dividends will be huge. The payoff will be immense. Here's the explanation, verse 16. Don't quit. Don't stop looking at your own life and examining your own life. Don't stop examining your teaching and the doctrine of those who are teaching within the church because here's what is at stake. Here's what's at stake. For by so doing, by not quitting, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The fruit of true success in ministry over the long haul is salvation. Life and doctrine under examination will ensure the perseverance for Timothy. That He will in fact finish the course. He will run the race. He will be saved in the end. He will abide in the truth, all of those pictures of what it is to live the Christian life and to receive the crown of life in the presence of the Lord. 
and it will provide the means, his life, his attention to his own life and to his doctrine will provide the means of salvation for those whom he ministers to every week. We've said this before, even as we've discussed in 1 Timothy, but nothing less than the souls of men are at stake. The souls of men and women are at stake in the leadership of the local church. And so these seven imperatives lay out for us the model of what it is to be successful in ministry. And really, these must be David and I's meditation. These must be your meditation. As the days and weeks and months and years go by, what is the nature of success according to God's Word? It is speaking the truth, commanding and teaching truth, living as an example so that youthfulness is not despised, its devotion to the public reading of the Word, to its exhortation and to its teaching, It's an attention to the gifts that have been given for the sake of serving the body. It is the practice and habitual activity of doing these things. It is the close watch on the life and on the teaching ministry of the church and the leadership. And it is the persistence, the persistence not quitting in the biblical guidelines, the biblical priorities for ministry. The biblical model of success doesn't change. Faithfulness is always valued over flashiness, right? Faithfulness is always better than trendiness, than the newest fad. Faithfulness to what God has said, the old way. There is a a part of our ministry that is just downright old-fashioned. And we should revel in it. Because old-fashioned is not bad, when old-fashioned flows directly from the old Word of God. We need to pray for true success in our ministry here. We need to pray for David and I that our lives would match this success and that they would serve as examples to be followed. The minister's life is to be modeled as it is followed by the sheep, the path of biblical priorities for the good servant of God. So this is a high-stakes game. There is a lot riding on leadership within the local church, and if you haven't got that yet from 1 Timothy, surely tonight we understand the demand that is placed on those who would provide instruction and leadership for the church. These are the seven imperatives These are the standard, really, of true success within ministry. If Timothy put himself to these, and he did, then he would be a faithful servant of God. All of us could take stock of our lives tonight, asking how committed we are to speaking the truth, how committed we are to being an exemplary Christian, both in outward life and inward life, how committed we are to devoting ourselves to the Word of God at every opportunity, using our gifts and focusing on our gifts, making habits of doing those priorities that have been laid out for us as God's people and keeping a very detailed watch on our own life and on those things that we teach to others, whether formally or informally. And finally, we must be persistent in this desire. Leadership is at stake. Examples are to be set and examples are to be followed. This is God's word for church.